Hello, welcome to Cinemaniac Jack. I'm your host, Jack. Today's guest co-hosts are John and Chris. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Doing, doing very swell, uh, Jack. How are you doing? Good. Um, so basically, the gist of this show is that we talk about films that I love based on whatever the topic of the episode is. And in the first half of the show, I talk to my guest about whatever the topic is. So today's topic is a film that takes place in a different country. And the movie I chose is Parasite. But first, uh, John and Chris are going to tell us some of their favorite films that take place in different countries. All right. So, so I, I, I'll give the, the con over to you, John, first. <clears throat> what do you... The first movie I chose was Train Spotting from 1996, directed by Danny Boyle. Um, it's basically about a bunch of drug addicts in uh, Edinburgh, in Scotland. Uh, Ewan McGregor's in it, as well as uh, Johnny Lee Miller and Robert Carlyle. And it's just like a really good movie. The soundtrack's really, really good. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Iggy Pop in the soundtrack. Sure the, uh, the sound mix is pretty uh, pretty intense. I know Danny Boyle, he's, um, his filmmaking, he's uh, very, uh, very, I guess, um, in your, I wouldn't say in your face, but he's very, like, usually he's, like, very intense, very uh, robust in whatever he does with his films. Yeah, the movie itself is very intense subject material, too. I remember it left quite the impression on me and all. Yeah. I've, I've never been to Scotland. I have a cousin who's studying to be a vet in Edinburgh. So maybe this summer I might go to Scotland. I'm not sure. But there be. Yeah, I personally, I've never seen the movie yet, but, you know, it's on it's on my list. It's Why? Definitely... You've never seen Trainspotting? Get out. Oh, it's so good. There's so much so much stuff to go to, you know, catch up on. You know, I being a movie guy that I am. Compared to you two have seen every single classic film in the book. But mm -hmm. me, I feel good now that I've finally seen something just Jack and Chris have not seen. Boom. Yeah. All right. So uh, I guess the, my um, my first pick uh, is kind of goes back to a childhood favorite of mine. Uh, it's the the Mummy, uh, the one uh, the remake from 1999, uh, starring Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz, and Arnold Vosloo, directed by Stephen Sommers. Uh, yeah, that, that I grew up with watching that movie quite a bit. Uh, and like I always enjoyed the the direct the sec the sequel that came right after that, but like but it pretty much had the same filmmakers, the same cast, and um, you know basically like you know it's taking like even though they probably filmed in different locations like in Africa and like Middle East and so on and so forth, uh, I'm not sure um I got, I'm not really sure like if how much they actually filmed in Egypt, but um. You know, the whole setting of ancient Egypt or like, you know, having that as sort of like the background for this adventure is always has always been always been like great for adventure films. And I can't really think of any uh, like any film, like at least like maybe like a blockbuster that really has like ancient Egypt as, say, uh, a setting or something that like uh, a different country that like really influences uh, the piece. Oh, like the like that has that flavor of Egypt, none other than uh, the mummy itself, the the Brendan Fraser uh, version. And um, again, yeah, that, that movie is quite all oh, like such a fun romp, and uh, it's shot beautifully. Um, and like I think it's like even though it had some CGI to it, uh, there's a lot of they do a lot of practical like stuff in that film, and it was kind of like on the cusp of you know, have being movie blockbusters being heavy uh, with CGI and ones that, that weren't more in like the old fashioned action adventure heyday stuff. So yeah, it's a, it's a particular favorite of mine. And again, the set, the setting of Egypt, the way it just kind of opens up with this grand like music that has that Egyptian flavor and just like the, the, the imagery of this, of the pyramids and the, like the, like sort of the sunset sort of look the gold look it's like just really uh it kind of gives me chills you know i don't know if a movie's ever given me chills maybe that just speaks to how cold i am compared to you no no movie has given you chills i mean chills like like a goosebumps you know oh goosebumps or there are so many movies that like like kind of like give me goosebumps and um yeah like give me chills or I mean, even make me feel like emotional because it's such an awe-inspiring 
like whatever the scene is or the sequence. Oh, I can, wait a minute. I thought of a movie that gave me chills recently. No Way Home gave me chills. Oh, they yeah. Oh, really? Okay. okay. Not, not, not bad. There, there's some moments in there. Yes. Anyway. But, yeah. What's your next film, John? The next film I selected is the newest, uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth, directed by Joel Cohen. Uh, it's, on, um, it's on Apple TV exclusive, Apple I think. But Denzel, Apple... Denzel Washington and Francis McDermott play uh, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, respectively. And uh, obviously it takes place in England because it's Shakespeare. But what was so funny, just on a side note, everybody in the film uses British accents except for Denzel Washington. He, like, acts it like he's American. So I just thought that was a very interesting interpretation. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you act like, you know, it's like training day, but Shakespeare. It was amazing, though. I mean, Denzel Washington kicked ass. Francis McDermott kicked ass. Everybody in that movie and the uh, and the cinematography too i i assume was spectacular yeah it's in black and white it was just really really artsy fartsy but I'm yeah into that kind of stuff yeah you know? and you know get like um adding to that note about the accent thing i feel like a lot of times you know if um i guess if the actor can't really go full-on like you know accent like say british or whatnot then the directors are like just 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 be just be you you know don't uh, don't go really go for the accent just be you i noticed that a lot with um with certain filmmakers uh, i think more recently there was a sort a to to an extent um the last duel with uh was directed by ridley scott i i like i noticed with his films either the act the actors like all the actors have accents or or like uh, on the other side of the spectrum they don't. And so it's kind of like sometimes it throws it off or it's like the accents aren't really there themselves are off. So it's, it's very tricky. I mean, know. look at, look at house of Gucci, which really well, yeah, that's, 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 a, the that's another example. The yeah. In that movie, Jared yeah, Leto's accent was like, it's a me. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, God's I accent was like pseudo Russian at points. Yeah. I mean, What's funny, Jack and I both looked at each other after House of Gucci. We went with a few mutual friends, and they did not like it as much. But Jack and I looked at each other and were like, that is a movie. (laughs) (laughs) That is a movie. That is a movie. I enjoyed it. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed House of Gucci. I I, pl- I plan to see that one as well. And the um, well, I know Gaga. I've heard about Lady Gaga, not yeah. like her acting being a little off, but I watched clips of um, Jared Leto's performance, and even though he's he's giving a good performance, I'm like he's really in the character, like he usually uh, gets into the character. Oh, but he's the, in the character. Yeah, but however, the accent kind of like from what I've seen kind of ruins it for me because it sounds so much like, um, hey, it's a me, a Mario kind of I mean, You just have to watch the movie. I mean, yeah. the dialogue's but, already iconic. It's going to be a film just like Ma and some yeah. other iconic films that have come out where you're just I'm, like, yeah. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure that the, like, the uh, Jared Leto's performance will probably work better once I see the whole thing. But like in the little little nuggets, little pieces of it, it, it does seem off. But well, I'll Jared Leto's a little pervert boy. He he <laughs> gave like a dead rat to his Suicide Squad coach. That, that's that, apparently that's rumor. Apparently that's not true. It's very well. method actory. Yeah, of course. God. <laughs> anyway. Uh, who just went i completely (laughs) we get that's why i love doing these things with chris because we get on these like beautiful beautiful tangents Um, gorgeous gorgeous um gorgeous and so speaking of gorgeous for my next pick uh this is this will be an um how many uh, how many picks do we get after this just one or is that oh by all means you go oh okay so um this one's a little interesting um uh, for this pick, I'm going to go with a movie I just recently saw and added to my collection called Touch of Evil. Have you guys oh, Orson heard of it? Wells, you culture Yeah, it, it's one of Orson. Uh, it was Orson Welles' final, his last Hollywood film. And uh, what's interesting about it, like for this, like, even for our, um, our, our subject today the, about like in different countries, this movie actually takes place on the border of the United States and Mexico. At least it's supposed to. I don't know how much they saw in Mexico or the United States, but you know they were they kept going back and forth with America. Yeah, so America there's a lot. Like, half of it's in Mexico, the other half's in America, and I think a uh, part of like um, I guess the the detail that Orson Welles puts into his the film is that 
even though like you got Mexico and the United States in this film, like it's all, they're almost indistinguishable and very much the characters themselves are almost indistinguishable from one another in a way that everybody is kind of um, crossing the line some way with the, with the law or like with themselves or just doing things, crossing the line literally at the border of these two countries. They're literally like crossing the line, but yet like both literally and metaphorically or like for their characters like Charlton Heston plays uh this sort of um upper class Mexican narcotics cop I mean and he's not really doesn't really have an accent so again another one where they told uh Orson Welles told them to kind of like skip the accent and just go with it well go with the performance and yeah and then you got Janet Lee who plays his wife who's uh, who's supposed to be American and then you got Orson Welles playing the detective or not no not the detective the uh the the cop that uh, on the border the border cop and he's like this sort of very hulking disgusting man that like uh, he likes to um he likes what's the word he likes to frame people for crimes so so they can get like you know basically get better ratings uh kind of like cheating on like you know like uh doing five stars for a bunch of stuff but anyway um getting back to the movie itself yeah it takes place in like on the border so in america and mexico but well, it's a really interesting movie, very artsy, uh, very intense. It's like a film noir, so it's um, it's done in a very – that style, black and white, and the camera works amazing in the film and very um, innovative. And it's often forgotten because it was uh, – again, it was a movie. It was uh, Orson Welles' last movie with uh, Hollywood because they changed it up. The studio changed it up uh, quite a bit, and he was upset about that. He wrote a memo to them, a 58-page memo that um st stated what changes he wanted for the final cut and they ignored it and so his film he like he basically like left hollywood he didn't do any uh, hollywood film again and the movie was kind of forgotten but then it resurfaced because they, they actually had um uh i think the the famous film editor walter murch got the memo uh orson welles memo and he um uh, i guess he got the um, the permission or got the resources to edit the film in the way that Orson Welles wanted. And, um, and Orson Welles had uh, actually had passed away before he could see that, that product, but uh, the final product, but um, what we, what we got today as like the director's cut of that film is more, more than more likely the definitive cut that Orson Welles would have wanted for his film, the touch of evil. So it's a fascinating movie. You guys got to check it out. Cool. Uh, what's your next film, John? Oh, I have time for one more. Yeah. I see. Yeah. You have like two minutes. Oh, two minutes. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. I feel like such a basic Betty over here because all these films, they take place in either England or France. You know, I'll pick Lawrence of Arabia. Boom. I just remember, Boom. I don't know if it was filmed on location. I want to say it was probably filmed on location, but I just remember being very impressed by the Middle East. I don't know. I just find it very pretty. Yeah, I don't know if they shot any of that in Egypt, but that's like kind of in that area. I think like other than like I guess the I think the mummy really takes some inspiration of its like you know sand dune vistas from Lawrence of Arabia, and so many other movies kind of take inspiration from Lawrence of Arabia because it's time the epic to sort of end all epics back in 1960, I believe five 1965 the movie came out. I might be wrong about that. Did it? Um... Actually, I, I know I actually know that right here. I can see right here on my computer. Sixty-two. Sixty-two. Yeah, you're right. And it was shot on location in Jordan, Spain, and Morocco. In, in seventy million, uh, five million. Oh, not seventy-five. Seventy millimeter film. Well, Jordan's the Middle East. Spain obviously is not, and Morocco is North Africa. And the cinematography in that movie is astonishing. Like the the wide uh, shot vistas of the desert and everything. It's it's iconic. And the, yeah. like they got most of it in Jordan, I believe, was the country. I mean, I'm most likely never going to watch that movie again, but it was a beautiful way to spend three hours. And I yes. enjoyed it. I enjoyed it thoroughly for what it was. And I think Peter O'Toole gives such a masterful uh, performance in that film. He may be T.E. Lawrence to other people, but to me, he will always be Anton Ego. Anton Ego, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're, you're talking about um, Ratatouille. Ratatouille, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, you will be. How can it be popular? <laughs> okay, well, uh, you guys ready to get into it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Um, so today we're talking about Parasite. Um, so Parasite is a black comedy thriller film released on May 30th, 2019. It was directed by Bong Joon-ho, who also wrote the story and co-wrote the screenplay with Han Jin-won. It stars Song Kang-ho, Lee Sun-kyun, Cho Yi-jung, Choi Woo-sik, Park So-dam, Lee Yoon-yoon, and Jang Hai-jin. Uh, the film is about the Kim family living in poverty and Seoul. They struggle on a daily basis with their low-paying jobs. One night, the son, Ki-woo, meets up with his friend, Min-hyuk, who suggests he poses as a university student to the wealthy Park family in order to gain income. After meeting the mother and daughter, the mom, ex- the mom explains to Ki-woo that, that Da-song, their son, used to take art lessons but no longer does so even though the mother would like him to continue. Uh, Ki-woo sees this as an opportunity for Ki-jung to be, hire- to be hired by them as well, and they pretend that Ki-jung is an art therapist. Soon after, the Kims scheme to have the Park family hire the father as the chauffeur and the mother as the housekeeper. One night, the Kim family secretly stay at the Park house while the Parks go away camping, and everything seems to be going great for them. However, however that night, the old housekeeper shows up and tells them that she left something at the house that she wants to retrieve. The Kims are reluctant, but decide to let her in. The mother follows the housekeeper into the basement, where she sees her open up a secret passage that leads to another room, where she has been hiding her husband for four years from loan charts. The Kim family accidentally trip down the stairs while eavesdropping on them, and the housekeeper threatens to reveal to the parks their true identities. Um, yeah, so I think... Um, John, it was you who introduced me to this movie. I didn't. Oh, thank God. I didn't know. I might. I. I might have seen previews for it, but like, I didn't know really much about it. I just went in blind to it when we first watched it. I mean, I never like to say I'm on the cutting edge of what's cool and hip, but honestly, for this movie, I was on the cutting edge of what's cool and hip. I found <laughs> out about this movie from one of my piano students who was like, yeah, have you seen Parasite yet? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, it's like an artsy, fartsy film. And you know me being artsy, fartsy, I had to check it out. So I watched it and I said, holy shit, this is it. Like this film is going to like blow up. It was so good. I mean, the first time I saw it, I forced my parents to watch it. And (laughs) it's very interesting watching with different people because you get obviously their own individual perspectives on the film. But in terms of the two families, the uh, Kim family and the Park family, it's always interesting seeing who, which family the people root for who mm. watch the film. Do you, root with, do you uh, identify with the rich people or do you identify with the poor people and all? So yeah. I, th- I think that's very interesting, of or, course. Or like uh, how like each of them are similar, uh, each of the two families are similar but different, like, you know, like, like almost crossing the line or not crossing the line. There's actually, um, I didn't notice it when I first watched it uh, because it's very subtle, but like nearly in every scene where a member of the Park family and the member of, uh, I believe the- uh, Kim family. The what family? The Kim family. Yeah, the Kim family and the Park family uh, uh, between the rich and the, uh, and the poor. It, it, like when there's like one member, at least one member in the frame with the uh, um, of a rich um, family member and a poor family member, um, there's something in the frame that dev- like a like a line. It doesn't have to be like a literal like uh, like line that was put there. Um, more like you know, I'm, I'm trying to like illustrate it. Like for example, you'll have the the poor father. He'll be on the left side of the screen uh, in the frame, and then you have the rich father in some way, shape, or form on the right side of the screen. And in between the two characters, there's something that like makes sort of like an imaginary line that constantly divides them. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but like you can see like videos of that online uh, where they, they, they show like moments when these uh, member of, uh, of a family member is like they're in a room together and there's a line that divides them in like a fixed frame. I hope I, I illustrated that cor- uh, correctly with my my, my words, but uh, oh, uh, you you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah I'd I'd have to Google that. Be- 
Uh, I guess I believe, you, I believe you. There's a it, lot of symbolism in the movie, especially oh, the yeah, staircase. Sure. And, uh, like the, the Korean, the Korean film, uh, film like uh, cinema. Um, I've noticed, like I like, I think uh, I don't know if it started, but maybe it started with Parasite or Snowpiercer, directed by the same guy, by the way, Mo Jung. Um, what's how do you say his name? I think it's Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho, yeah, Bong Joon Ho directed Snowpiercer. And a lot of like Korean cinema uh, seems to um, focus a lot thematically of social uh, on social commentary about you know the the haves the have nots the rich and the poor and how it kind of tackles that in a very I mean, uh... artistic in, uh, entertaining way. And one thing I what I love 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 about Parasite is that it's a very artistic film that's also very entertaining. And, like it, like it has like a re it's rewatchable. As this rewatchability, but it's also like it's it's crafted in such a precise, detailed way that you just you know you just sit there, you go, ah. and it's, it's such it's such an original film and and um very richly detailed and made. Uh, I remember uh, around Oscar time when uh, they were uh, presenting the best original screenplay category. They were showing clips of the the movies of like a particular scene, and they and they have somebody narrating um, the script of the scene. And um, Parasite was one of the nominees, and the way that the the, the scene was um, written, uh, it was so detailed. Like the director uh, who who also wrote, I think wrote the film, uh, he knew exactly what he wanted in the scene, and there was so much like little details and layers to make the scene pop. He like, and it's like it it was so much more rich. And original and eccentric and just like wild than the other stuff, other movies that were nominated, at least the way they were described in the script. And uh, evidently, the uh, Parasite did win for best original screenplay and best uh, foreign film and, and best picture. picture. I was which, so happy when they won for best. Which, which yeah, is I was, was going to say, like, I was yeah. so shocked when when it won best picture like i really thought that once upon a time in hollywood was gonna win and then when yeah, they said Parasite, I, I was shocked i wasn't disappointed though because i loved the movie so much and i was so happy for them that they won best picture and i thought well yeah like if if once upon a time in hollywood it isn't gonna win and it might as well be parasite because true that yeah that was just um, a great I, film. I was surprised a bit but at the same time it was the right choice and it really kind of like broke the glass ceiling when it comes to like foreign films. Like a foreign film uh, can win an uh, like an Oscar Oscar for best picture in America, and so that kind of op- uh, cracked open the door on that uh, in a big way. I think there was another film that came out uh, to a year or two before that. It was called Roma. That that was uh, a film that was it was a, it was a very popular foreign film during an Oscar season, and it was. I think it was up for a uh, best picture, but it lost. Uh, I forget to which which film. I Green think it was Book. Uh, Green Book. Yeah, but the, the, the a lot of people were saying, "Oh, that's probably going to win. It's probably going to win best picture." But like I was, I had the mindset like everybody else, like, but foreign films don't win best picture. And Roma, I don't think Roma as as much as I liked the film, I felt like it wasn't strong enough overall to, uh, for to get receive that prize. It it was a well filmed like sort of lucid dream like stylized like sort of drama drama I w- you can call it drama but at the same time i didn't really feel too much from that movie it was very artistic but it was like it like the, the way it was shot it kind of made me feel distant from the characters even though like this was supposed to be done it was it was created by a director who was sort of expressing um his childhood uh, through these characters and yet I didn't really feel for the characters too much because they kind of kept them at quite a distance with the camera now with uh, a different story because like that movie is aspiring on all sides like the direction the camera work the music um and uh, especially the performances like the like everybody in the movie does a fantastic job I mean uh, it, like there's a lot of stuff that comes from the script a lot of detail a lot of like character moments that the director was go wanted for uh, certain scenes, but the char- the actors really brought like such personality to each of their characters, and it just made the movie pop even more because I actually cared for these characters. I even I felt sympathy for um, the the rich people, the rich family, because 
they're not really bad people. They're just, you know, they're just well-off people that were, they're spoiled and they got, they, they got their way of living. Uh, but they're kind of, um, they're, I guess uh, I'm thinking of the word complacent or they're very like, for example, that scene where um, uh, he's like, he, the, the, the rich father is always talking about how like certain people smell and that really irritates him that he said that crossing, the cross, crossing the line uh and like you know that sets off the the poor dad and and again um i won't spoil that moment but too much but yeah it's um See, again he says i hate to interrupt but when he says crossing the line yeah um, crossing, like yeah, uh, something funny, being acceptable or unacceptable maybe i know yeah. what he means by crossing the line but to me my interpretation when he says crossing the line he means getting too close like yeah. you need to know your place that I'm on top of you in the superiority chain. I'm the one exactly. paying for your labor. I'm the exactly. one who gives you money. You work for me. So yeah. that really left. But a... he, he dehumanizes them. As yeah. It gives me a sour taste in my mouth. But what's funny is the first time I watched the movie, I root for the poor people. I root <laughs> for the poor family. The second time I watched the movie, I root for the poor family. The third time I've watched the movie, I root for the poor family. And this most recent time is my fourth time watching Parasite. And I still root for the poor family. However, each time I have a little more sympathy for the uh, Park family. A little more rather than the kids. Because the mom is not a bad person. She's just bad and stupid. She doesn't know any better because she's a rich bitch. Yeah. But also, like, she's just a lonely housewife who's just kind of like trying to navigate every all used by her husband so it's like i don't know i i thought that was interesting because this time around when we were watching it i did feel sorry for her i actually i do feel sorry for the rich family except for the dad he's the only (laughs) one i don't feel sorry for the others i do feel sorry for because yeah. like, the children are just born into it. Well, they're yeah, and they don't know any better. They don't know any better. You're born into circumstances. And the like, wife is just, you know, she's just naive. She's naive and stupid. She's naive, she bored, and she's being used by the husband. So I, I mean, I'll give you guys a perfect example about class. And I think this anecdote has something to do with the movie. So this is why I'll say it. Some people just live crazy lives. Like my piano got tuned recently and I have like a $5,000 baby grand piano. We'll say it's about $5,000. And it's a beautiful instrument. I love it. It's amazing. Whatever. But my piano tuner came over and said in Rumson, a few towns over, there's pianos and nobody even plays the pianos. And there are $75,000 Steinways grand pianos. So it just goes, some people due to their economic status just think differently. In what universe is it appropriate for a child's birthday party to cater an opera singer? Think about all this stuff that she catered for Da Song's party at the end. Like the, there was an ice sculpture. There was like a, <laughs> yeah. an opera singer. It just is so above and beyond. And I don't know. No, I don't think any, all three of us are like rich at all. But it's just but funny it's because like, like she's like walking around being all like, ah, like it's like a, such a normal like thing yeah. for her. Like she doesn't That's even think, think about so it that crazy. much. But it is so insane. And it's all for this, like, how old is the son anyway? It's like seven or like eight. Like five or something or whatever. Six or seven. And it's like he's not even going to appreciate half the things that are around him. I love when they call it an yeah. impromptu. She's like, we're throwing an impromptu. Like, impromptu is like something you do spontaneously. And she's like, yes, we'll have to cater, da-da-da-da-da. And da-da-da. Like, it's just <laughs> funny to me. Yeah. And, yeah. It, it just goes to show how universal the themes of um, class warfare and income inequality are that people in America identified so strongly with the film. Like, it just shows how universal, unfortunately, those themes are between the fights between the haves and the have-nots. Now, what the Kim family did was fucked up and wrong. I think all three yeah, of well, us... Well, neither of the family are are in the right. You know, like... But I, I like still the think, dad's like, not right, listen. but the... But the Kim family aren't in the right either because they're what they did was very bad. I thought what the Kim family did was not cool either. However, in terms of my sympathy, I still end up having more sympathy for the poor Kim family. But yeah, you understand why they're doing it. As a, well, they they're trying to survive. They gotta yeah. make money. They're living in literal squalor while their apartment is getting fumigated. But it's interesting too how it's like. But that's what makes the twist so great is that you find out it's like not only not only are they using the Park family, but the old housekeeper was also using 
them as well. For yeah. own- and, you, and you like you almost think that like the the film itself almost um, takes a sort of thriller vibe. Like before, it was kind of like a sort of a sort of like black comedy sort of vibe. Uh, you know, like drama, a little bit of drama, comedy. But then this twist happens, and it almost feels like you know. Like a like a thriller. I mean, not not it doesn't go veer too much into that, but yeah, it feels more like that. And it's really it's a really intense film, even for a film that's not really, um, again, a thriller or action action um, drama, so on and so forth. It's like it's very intense for a black com- a comedy thriller, so on. It's like it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice blend. It's very it's very balanced in that way. Yeah, well, the balance of comedy and drama is done very well here. I mean, it goes to show whoever did the translations from Korean to English did an amazing job. I think um, there's some lines which make like still make me laugh. Keep in mind, I've seen the movie like multiple times, but the line, the line about um, the art therapy when oh, yeah. Jessica, when the sister talks about the schizophrenia zone in Da Song's paintings, I die every time. <laughs> It's so funny because the mother is just so like, she's like, would you like to see into your son's mind, into Da Song's mind? Yeah. It's just, it's so just crazy how she doesn't even do like a background check on any of That's what the I people said. And it's weird too, because you would think that the husband would be smarter to do it as well, but he even he doesn't well, do he's it. He's busy with his job. Yeah. He just leaves the hiring of the help to the wife is what I think. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. And all. But the idea that you would just have all these strangers working in your home without... Well, I mean, she says at one point after Driver Yoon has panties left in the, the mm-hmm. uh, limo. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene, too. She's like, who knew Driver Yoon was a scumbag? <laughs> the dad says <laughs> yeah. to the wife. And then she's like, what if he's sleeping with somebody addicted to meth and coke? Like, like some drug whore that he's like banging in the car yeah. and all what I you want to know something I do think is an interesting theme that nobody really talks about what I feel like if the Kim family worked with the housekeeper and her husband and the six of them worked together against the Park family they could have come up with a better solution but instead it was the poor people versus the poor people yeah, that's uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the poor people and the poor people against the rich people. It was the poor people versus the poor people yeah. versus. There was a, yeah, there was a segment yeah. of the there's a segment of the film. Yeah, like um, which was the segment they used for that um, presentation of the best original screenplay. The scene was the scene where they're fighting over the phone. There was yeah. that there was that scene, and in that scene, they got this like music going, and it's sort of like this beautiful like half slow motion. And they're all fighting over the phone. All the poor people are fighting to get ahead. And like, yeah, I didn't think of that that way. But yeah, you're right. It's uh, the poor people fighting against the poor people to get ahead. And, you know, yeah, so and not him. The morality is really funny from the housekeeper and her husband, who has been staying in that house for four years, how she acts like what her and her husband are doing is so much better morally than what the parks are doing to the Kim. It's it's almost like messed up, too. I mean, what she's doing, I don't know. Is it not as bad as what they're doing or is it worse? You're you're letting a stranger live in somebody's house. I mean, it's not great. No. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, that scene is just really funny, though. Like when they just started all attacking each other. And and then the sister, (laughs) she walks in with the peaches, right? Peaches! Peaches! peaches, And she just starts shoving them into the house. Fire! Amazing. The scene... (laughs) The scene which almost made me pee my pants the first time, I remember this, like I actually almost felt the urine exit my urethra, was the scene where they poison, like they try to poison the housekeeper by giving oh, yeah. her peach fuzz. And then the housekeeper starts coughing and then the mother's convinced she has tuberculosis and fires her. That is the funniest shit. But, but like when they, they, they use the ketchup, uh, you know, the, and they have, yeah, you the have ketchup the ketchup thing. And the dramatic, um, the dramatic, like sort of like classical music that plays throughout the whole thing, <laughs> really adds to it. Also, um, I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, that moment uh, when they kick, uh, what's her face, Moon, you know, the housekeeper down the stairs. I thought she was dead the first time. Yeah, most people yeah, do. Yeah, but then she does die eventually. But, well, she dies eventually. Yeah. 
Yeah, but like that, you know, I felt that. I was like, man. And after like everybody's scrambling to get everything in order, then they, the last thing to do is kick her down the stairs, and then she's like, what, what? Like she hit, hits her head like that, man. Does the movie yeah. depress you guys at all? Mm, well, there is it, the end. Like, listen, it's a comedy, but ultimately the reason why I'm depressed is because look at the sister Jessica. Yeah, well, that's her, like that's her like English name or whatever. Yeah. Look at her. She was arguably, I think, out of the four of the Park family, I think she was the most talented. She was good at graphic design. She was good at art, etc. But it just goes to show so much of success in life is how you're born. And look, she never had a chance. Her and Ki-Woo never had a chance because they were poor. As opposed to the talentless girl in the Park family and um, the son, Da Song, where they would have all the world's advantages because they're rich. Exactly. But I think I think hard work matters a lot, but ultimately, like your success is based on what tribe you're born into. So I was like a little depressed about that while watching yeah. the movie. It's hard to try. Well, I feel it's, like it's a, it's a movie ahead. that kind of makes me feel both things. Like the 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 beginning, the first half of the movie is very funny. But yeah, but then like the second half is where it gets very dark and sad. And then I, I'll tell you though, like those last couple of minutes of this movie are so, it really gets you. Like, yeah. it's like him like explaining, like first the, the letter that, or we're not even sure, like does the dad actually send a letter to the son or is he just kind of imagining it? And then yeah. him kind of sending the letter to his dad and then we kind of like see um, we see the dad come out of the like we see that the son will purchase the house and then the dad comes out of the yeah uh, the basement and reunites with them but even that even then we don't even know if that's actually real or if that's just like another fantasy yeah I mean <laughs> the thing about that is um, and it's very it's, it is a little strange because like when in near the end of the movie when he woo is uh, injured the way he is with the the, the rock of I destiny. Thought he was dead, honestly. Yeah, yeah, like he was hit in the head pretty hard. But then again, like the if the, if you see in the, the the there's a wide shot of what's his face, uh, the uh, the husband of the housemaid. He one she one cheese or whatever. But uh, he throws that rock on his head twice, or you like smack like and he, like you see the rock kind of graze his head. And the blood's gushing out or whatever. But, like, you think, oh, he's dead, obviously. But then you see, like, oh, he they survived. They saved his life What in the hospital or whatever. But I feel like uh, there's an interpretation of that, of the end, that ends ending sequence, where maybe, you know, maybe he, the son is dead. And this was just sort of in, his, I guess, in his head, like, you know, but like he's, like, in limbo before he's, he, like, passes away. But then that's like it's it's a pretty wild theory, um, if you ask me. But also, um, yeah, he's probably imagining a lot of stuff. I mean, he was hit on the head; he almost died, and he like, I don't know how much of this stuff is true. How like what is what is he imagining? What he's not? But yeah, it kind of leaves it a little up to your interpretation in a way. And of course, you know, I I, I interpret the ending as like he's thinking about all this plan to save his dad. Uh, to get his dad out, and you think it's actually happening in real, almost in real time, like he's doing it, but then it cuts back to him, that last shot of him in, in the old house, just uh, staring out into the darkness, saying like, oh, until then, dad, have uh, goodbye, good night, whatever, and um, which, which echoes back to, I think, the opening shot of the film, which was like during the day, same shot, I think the same exact shot Panning down from the window down into the room of the ha- of the poor people's the, the Kim's house, same shot, but uh, the end shots at night and it's different. It's and I think it's very reverse. I gotta look back on that, but yeah, um, great stuff there. Yeah, well, it it's interesting because I think the last scene kind of connects to the one scene where the dad tells Kiwu. He tells him where the dad tells Kiru, he's like, you know, do you have a plan? And he goes, don't ever have plans because they never work out. Exactly. And then finally, you know, he says in his letter to the dad, he's like, I have a plan. I'm going to uh, buy the house someday and then we'll see each other again. 
which I guess is in a way, I guess could be a clue that perhaps like he's never going to see. Exactly. Yeah. No, that, no, that, that, that's a bitter, this bitter, kind of a bittersweet uh, right there where he, he survives and but yet he uh, details his plan. And then he's like, until then, dad, peace. And who knows if it will ever happen. There was because... a scientist who calculated how many years of work it would take for Kiwu to buy that house. It would take 564 years of working. Exactly. So, it, of course, he's never going to afford that house. It's all a pipe dream. Yeah, and basically, like, it just kind of, like, puts an exclamation mark on the whole thing. Be like, or like a stinger, like, I, I can, I'm going to work my ass off to get you, get you out of there, Dad. Well, it reminds me a little bit, not not to get political, but it reminds me of when, like, Republicans are like, why don't poor people just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, like, exactly. get a job? <laughs> yeah, but, like, like, but they don't realize, like, hey, um, the system is, like, not in their favor, so. Yeah, it's, it just speaks from a place of naivete, just like the mother. Like, yeah. the rich like people. I, how do I put it this way? I don't want to demonize the rich at all. But the mother in particular struck me as like so useless. She could not cook. She could not clean. She had no marketable skills whatsoever. And maybe the uh, Park family would have been more redeemable to me if they were like cognizant of how much money they had. Like if they mm. showed any sense of self-awareness. But I didn't find them very self-aware of their like good fortune and no. circumstance. You know, I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah, they're pretty. Uh, they're pretty, I think they, they they seem pretty lackadaisical when it came to, uh, you know, the, their finances, how they they spent and everything, or how they like carried themselves. Um, you know, like like you said, um, they they didn't seem like they really understood like just how rich they are and how to really utilize it. And because like you, like like we've already said before, because they're rich, they really. They're not, they don't um, venture out to do other things to like, like, you know, they don't find their other, other like possible talents or, you know, really work hard to do something that they are probably good at. They like, they're good where they're at. I mean, so the father don't... worked hard. I thought the yeah. father, well, the father was the one who made all the he money. He probably did. Yeah. He's the one, he was the president. So, so by yeah, all means, in America or in the world, if you work hard and you become rich as a result of working hard, all the more power to you. But I just think I just think the rich people would have been more redeemable morally to me if they were like aware of how rich they were. Yeah. Well, just of like the they were kind of privileges they had. But it just goes uh, to show one man's trash is another man's treasure. The um, Kim family's having the worst night of their lives. Their basement apartment, which was already dirty and gross, has been completely flooded and destroyed. And then the very next day. the mother's getting driven to the supermarket she's like oh and the rain made everything look so beautiful today (laughs) i'm thinking she has no idea what these people have gone through at all yeah i don't know i just feel like the themes are so relevant to our lives with the whole uh, class warfare and everything um that's why i feel like it resonated with so many people it's just a shame that foreign films are still considered so taboo in the United States. Yeah, but I, I feel like yeah, I feel like that's um, that's something that that the parasite helped sort of like like I've said before, like crash the uh, glass ceiling on like what foreign films can be or how they can be perceived or celebrated, and um, I guess yeah, my overall thoughts of. Uh, for me, like again, I agree. It's a brilliant it's a masterpiece. It's amazing. Uh, definitely one of the best films, like like pure films I've ever seen. Yet, even though it's like artistically brilliant and well thought out on nearly every single level, it manages to be very entertaining on nearly every level. You know, down from the script to the performances, the direction, the Tech, all the technical stuff, all the the scenes, the humor, the the uh, the, the commentary, the the, the uh, and just there's so much to it, and it, like it, blend, it blends like a whole bunch of stuff together into one amazingly assembled package. That uh, even though uh, it was um, the character, everyone, every all the actors are speaking in another language. It's a foreign film. 
this is like one of those movies that kind of like transcends that sort of uncomfortable feeling you get sometimes with you know keeping up with the what the still what's going on with the story how like you know we have these people speaking in a language you don't know but you have to obviously you have to read the subtitles to fully understand what's going on i mean you could easily miss um certain plot details certain points in the story if you're if you're not reading those subtitles however one th i think one of the amazing things about parasite is that it's even though it's foreign uh language uh film and i had to read the subtitles it was one of those experiences where uh, with a foreign film where i almost forgot about the subtitles meaning like i just kind of was getting lost in the film it was so enthralling that even though even though I was reading, still reading the subtitles, whenever like the way the the material, the way that things play out, it almost you almost don't rely on the subtitles sometimes, and like you just kind of get lost in it and lost in like the creation of it, all the achievements, like so the best films do that. They suck you in and they they rarely let go. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um... You were looking up something interesting before, John, too, about how the house was, it was a set. Yeah, it was a right? set. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. That, some of it was CGI. Like, yeah, it was right. talk about like subtle like filmmaking. There was a lot of it that, that they did with, to extend it out with CGI, but you never notice it. It's like you, you're just sucked into it. And it's done so well that, like, and, and as they say, the best visual effects are the ones. Really, the really the ones that you just don't notice though they're invisible and you just go with it yeah I wonder like what because yeah because we're looking at a picture right now of like the house the set. house set yeah like the parts like you can kind of like you see the parts where they kind of added in CGI later but I wonder okay. like I wonder if there was any like parts inside of it that were CGI. Yeah, I mean that, that I have to look into, but yeah, um, they they built a massive set for the I think for the entire house. I don't know if the uh, basement set or you know the the, the bunker set or was the, the the attached to the whole house, like like the whole house was built as a set. Um, I th maybe they the the basement was separate, like a separate set from the main house set. I don't know. That's uh, that's something I have to look into, but yeah. They did. There was a lot of work that was put into the set design alone, uh, to you know, to the the maneuver the camera around in such like great ways, like keeping the camera moving, and, like it, like sometimes like fluently in certain scenes, and locking it down and getting those moments where you got the two different family members in the same frame in the same room, and how something in that room creates this sort of imaginary line that divides them, that keeps them divided at all times, no matter how close they are. Yeah. One thing which I think is interesting not to change the subject is um, Bong Joon-ho was inspired to write Parasite after somebody told him to write a play. And I thought that was so interesting because I could see Parasite be adapted to the stage. Like, that would be, like, a really compelling play. They would probably have to change, like, a lot in order for it to work as a play, but yeah. I could kind of see it. I could see it as yeah. a play. Because the character, all the characters in part are so well, well, well thought out, well uh, handled. They could all, all like, just take place in the house, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. For I'd the play. watch it on stage. I would, I would I, love that. I would love to see like a stage adaptation of Parasite. Well, they released a book of um, the storyboards, didn't, oh, didn't yeah, they? I think, I think they, they did. Yeah. Look that up. I haven't seen that yet, but yeah. I think I've seen it like in Barnes and Noble a couple a of times. Novel. It's really so now I got to check it out. Yeah, that sounds great. And, and another uh, little moment that I love in the movie is the moment, like the a moment or two in the movie where the movie kind of start like it it starts to act like a heart. Well, it's not not again. It doesn't go go for a very long time. It's just like these little moments where it like veers into like horror territory, like horror film. It's that one moment where the we find out what this this the thing was that traumatized the, the rich little boy, um, and it was a bit. And we find later, the guy who lives down in the basement, and he cut pops up. You see that one shot of in the dark where you see like in the in that stairwell or no that stair that 
that opening to the stairs downstairs and you see what's his face peek up in the darkness and his eyes like you can see his eyes piercing through the darkness and it kind of just like thinking about that shot it gives me chills it's funny but at the same time that image the way it was shot it was so horror-esque it's a very scary image and even though the movie's not a horror film like uh even by the by the title of the film you think oh it's probably a horror thriller or something but it's not but yeah that moment like in the film kind of reminds me of like a a great horror movie moment you know what i mean yeah well that shot is really terrifying (laughs) Yeah, the poor the poor man trying to trying to peek his way out out from the from below, you know, from the from yeah. hell. I mean, it's weird because it, it's that mix of drama and comedy again, you know, because it's like it's funny because like we know we the audience know the context of what's going on, but it's also really tragic because the little boy is traumatized by what he saw. He literally, he literally has know. seasons because of it. <laughs> In a way, that kind of, like, sums up the film. Oh, I do have one more good question for the three of us that I just thought of. What? Not to change the subject. Do you think Mr. Kim should have killed Mr. Park at the end of the movie? When he when he snaps and just stabs him? No. 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 He was a douche. Yeah. We can all agree on that. But he didn't deserve but, to die. But what he did Why was Why do not... you think he killed him? Because he was well, just fed up with him being just dehumanizing them yeah when he saw him pinch his nose or block his nose or whatever so he couldn't smell the guy it was just like while the guy was was dying it was the the nail in the coffin for him yep yeah and it was just like a tip was a breaking point for um for part for mr park he was just he couldn't he couldn't handle handle that that dehumanizing um element of that of, of the rich man the rich huff husband father's characters is yeah again it was again it was a breaking point but obviously i don't think he deserved to die but like he in, in his moment he he does that and it just um everything uh, he sees red and it's like yep mm, mm, i can't take this anymore but then now he's got murdering to... mr park change how you see the poor family um well i mean Does again it make them look worse in retrospect i mean on the, on the surface of it sure um i mean i don't think the guy deserved to die yeah the kim yeah the kims that they what they did was wrong of course you know infiltrating the family like that and basically mooching off of them as like a parasite uh and all that but um i feel like uh does it make them worse well a lot of stuff just a lot of shit went down and a couple of their family members just died. Well, I don't know. The, the I think the sister died, and yeah. But uh, then you got um, uh, Kevin almost died, and uh, I, I again I'm, I'm not I can't say it makes them like deep down worse. I mean, yeah, uh, the father kill kills the other father. I mean, it's it, like he kills him right then and there. So in a way, yeah, it makes him look worse. But I mean, because we know uh why he did it uh, i can understand why he snapped and why he he murdered the guy but so i i, I wouldn't say that it makes him worse but because we know the context of why he did it without them even go like really saying it in like a lot of dialogue or exposition they show it so context show it. makes it more forgivable because yeah but know the same that time mr really... park was such a dehumanizing asshole yeah, he, the thing he, is, uh, what we have yeah. to remember too is that like he's he's seen him and heard him make reference to his smell throughout the whole film. Exactly, it's been building up. Yeah, so like he like you know he tells him it like kind of like when he first meets him, and then you know he hears about it right after that you know horrible event happened downstairs in the basement, and then they have to go and hide under the table. And he hears him talk about, you know, him and, you know, his, quote, smell, unquote, which probably just hurt, hurt, hurt him as much to begin with. But then, yeah, just him seeing him do that at the end, just that was it for him. Yeah. Yeah. He snapped. We understand it. But, yeah, he killed the man. And, um, you know, obviously, like when the police were are able to find him, then the issue would be punished according to the law but you know the, they, they probably won't the the of course the people that might try him or 
convict him. You know, they won't see, you know, that context. They will just see a poor man stab the rich person. And it's bad because like, uh, like in the eyes of a lot of people, because a man killed a man. And I guess it'll be worse for him because he's poor. I'm sure like not everything's so black and white. What's funny, at least it just shows how your opinion evolves while you watch it. The first yeah, time yeah. I watched it, I was rooting. I was like, get him, stab him. And I was like, woo! The second time and the third time and the fourth time, each successive time that I watched him murder the rich father, I cringe a little more. It's like, no, don't make that choice. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I've always you didn't have to do that. Yeah, I mean, you're right. However, like, every time I've watched it, uh, a few, I've watched it a few times, I never thought of it as a yay moment for me. It wasn't a yay moment. It, it felt like an oh shit moment. Like, no, you did not. You, you didn't do what you just did. No. What does that say about me that the first time I see it? I'm like, yay. Yeah. Me, I'm like, no. 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 I can't blame him for snapping, though, because his daughter is bleeding out on the ground. Exactly. Tim's daughter. And he's trying to, like, help her while she's just been stabbed to death. Yeah. And He's like, toss me the keys. You have to drive Dasong to the hospital or yeah. whatever. And it's all like, oh, your son fainted. He'll be fine. Exactly. Yeah, my daughter's dying and your son just fainted from a seizure. I mean, well, he did have a seizure. So maybe that 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 was the like the main concern with that because they I guess they need to bring him to the hospital to make sure he's like doesn't go get any worse. But yeah, yeah, he, essentially his son faints. See, Mr. Park just is not very sympathetic, especially with no. his dialogue about crossing the line every yeah. time he talks about oh the help they never crossed the line that just makes him so unsympathetic and it shows the clear hierarchy between the rich people are better than the poor people you know yeah, yeah they you- should not do the help to the rich husband yeah no he just um he just doesn't even see them as people. But it makes it, it so when he gets murdered, you can't blame the viewer for being unsympathetic to his plight. True. Because it's like, oh, well, he dehumanized the Kim family. So, yeah. Fuck yeah. Well, that's I would why, say, I would, yeah. You go ahead. You know, I was just going to say, like, that's why it's such a great title for the film because at the beginning, we're like, oh, well, like, yeah, the Kim family are the parasites. They're leeching off of the rich family. But then as the movie goes on, we're like, oh, well, you know, uh, Mr. Park is just, you know, he's kind of leeching off of them in a way. Yeah. The so it's like, so who's like, who's the, the real parasite? Is it? You're a parasite. I made that argument with my parents. I said, the Kim family, everybody always wants to say the Kim family are parasites. But I think the Park family are parasites leeching off of the labor of the Kims. The argument is that the Kims, though, get compensated and paid for their labor. Yeah. yeah. Or are they, are they both the parasites? That's another question. Talking off of Yeah, I could. Yeah, definitely. See, I do feel bad for the rich family because they did not ask for that. Yeah. Their only sin, at least the mother and the children's only sin, was just being naive rich people. And I don't think that that's enough for them to deserve what the Kim family did to them. True. However, I think the father was an asshole. Yeah. In the end, he was. But also, um, yeah, like it, like I think, it, like illustrating that the rich are also parasites in a way, where like working off the labor of the poor, uh, of their, of their, you know, their caretakers or whatnot. Um, it's illustrated very well in, you know, after the storm, after the rainstorm overnight, and uh, they, they want to throw, want to throw that party. And, uh, you know, they're going about like it, it, was, all, it was all good, actually, and uh, everything's fine. But they're working off the labor of people who just lost their house and almost lost everything, almost their lives, too. So, yeah. And, like, in, in the scene, you see the contrast, like, very, the very, the very stark contrast between the two. And you can see, you can see how the rich are you know they're leeching off of the the you know their workforce you know yep so moral of the story is the dad's an asshole (laughs) (laughs) that's the moral of every story (laughs) yeah even if there's no dad in the story i mean it just well it shows like everybody is the hero in their own story Mm -hmm. 
I mean, the rich people, they just wanted somebody to tutor the daughter. They just wanted a driver. I don't think necessarily that what the rich people were looking for in terms of employment was that crazy. I no. mean, if I was rich, I would probably have a driver. I would probably want someone to tutor my daughter in English. Well, that's just it. Like the what they want, I don't think is they're inherently, isn't inherently isn't it isn't inherently bad. I don't find them it's how it's how they treat them is yeah, essentially what I mean. makes it what it is. See, I don't find them inherently evil because they're rich. I think we get into very nasty territory when we just make de facto blank statements like, "Oh, all rich people are the devil," or "All rich people are bad." I don't. I don't necessarily believe all rich people are bad. So my um, last statement I'm going to make is: I just hope Parasite encourages Americans to watch more foreign movies because foreign films are good. Just because something's in another language doesn't make it inherently like more uh, pretentious or artsy fartsy. Mm. Mom. Where she's like, what are you watching? Another French New Wave film? I'm like, actually, I am. Cleo <laughs> from 5 to 7, directed by Agnes Varda. Good film. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So uh, this has been Cinemaniac Jack. I'm your host, Jack. Today's guest co-hosts were John and Chris. Hi. Bye. See you next time. Good night, y'all.